This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. See, you probably know by now, but I'll tell you anyway. Theathletic.com is 40% off right now. If, and that's it's really easy to do. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com slash BSB. BSB is underscore. It's 40% off your subscription fee. Comes out to a cup of coffee pretty much a month to read The Athletic. And we have all the most in-depth stories. All, all hockey, football, baseball, everything. Like, you, you know we do unique coverage here at The Athletic. You list this podcast. Rick Carpinello, Shayna Goldman. Craig Custance, my rival, got a lot of stuff, good stuff going on. So listen, go to theathletic.com slash BSB all underscore today. It's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. You won't regret it. You, we, it's great work. Honestly, it's the best journalism work in sports right now, period, end of story. And I say that, like, honestly, which I know sounds crazy, but it's true. And the crazy in like, uh, hey, Ryan, you work for The Athletic, so why wouldn't you say that? But Point me something out better. I, you really can't. Theathletic.com slash BSB all underscore. Let's get to the show. BSB OT games five and six of the Vancouver Canucks series 1994. On the eve of hockey returning to play. Gregory, how are you? Fine. Okay. I mean, that's good. These, You know what else was just fine, if I'm being honest? Both these games. Um, nice transition there. I watched games five and six. Um throughout the past two days, right? And I just thought the Rangers had chances to win both the games, and they blew it. And both games, especially in game six, um, I thought was pretty uneventful, where game five was mostly uneventful up into the third period of hockey. I, I think they just got outplayed, especially, I mean, in the, in the second half of the third period of game five. And in both these games in general, to me, I mean, I know the Rangers lost, but they weren't, I thought every single other game, every other game of this series like had some sort of monument to it or sort of a theme, including a bloodbath and including some hard play. And I thought there was some good hockey played for both sides here, but nothing that really stuck out to me. And maybe that differed for you. Um, as someone who had just, ingested these games through box scores for the first 30 odd years of my life right i wasn't expecting either game to be anywhere near as competitive as they ended up being i will say if we want to jump into game five uh i think a large reason why the rangers lost that game is because they were without jeff boogaboom for just about the entirety of the contest and i think you could tell keenan had a really hard time putting anyone next to brian leach that would allow Leach to do all of his great things while also playing solid defense. Like I think it was Zubov for a time, pe- time period in that game five and 
I, I don't know if that was to jumpstart the team's offense or what, but taking Zubov away from Lowe seemed to have like a trickle-down effect throughout the entire lineup where the Rangers just weren't playing any kind of defense whatsoever, and it was apparent. Uh, they fell behind 3 nothing. Then they had a miracle comeback to make it 3-3. And then almost as soon as they made it 3-3, it was 5-3 in the blink of an eye. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily Richter's fault at all. They just weren't playing anything that looked like New York Ranger defense in that game five. Uh, but, you know, it, when, you, when you lose Bookaboom, and I, we, we've, we've said his praises just about the entirety of this rewatch because we keep saying his effectiveness on the back end is the linchpin to allowing Brian Leach to do all these great things that Brian Leach does. Um, it, it, was, it was tough without him, it, and it was clear that the Rangers didn't know what to do defensively without him. Uh, and then if, if anything else stuck out from game five to me, and I, maybe it was because game five bled a little bit in the game six, I, how many shots did Adam Graves miss yeah. in this in the two-game stretch? You know what's here? so strange? I think we could do like a, a real a whole podcast on this. It's like, you know, Adam is perceived as Oh, this. first name basis with Adam now. Yeah, I well, I, you know, we had lunch one time, okay? Relax. Of course, we're best friends now. <laughs> Um, well, Mr. Gray, so you, you can, you can speak from the heart when you really say this, right? Exactly. Your good friend, Adam, Adam, my Graves. good friend, Adam Graves, who I've had lunch with, um, really is just a ghost in both of these playoff series. Like from start to finish, I, I, when you see all the material and like the, the core four, the 1994, like anytime there's a documentary, like Graves is the first person out there. I mean, it's because he's so likable and he's one of the nicest guys of all time, but He's, like, identified as, like, wow, the piece to drive this Rangers to the cup. And he led the team in points and goals in the season. Like, the guy was a monster. But in these playoffs, he's invisible. And I wonder how we remember Adam Graves otherwise if in the Game 7 we'll be covering next week, one of the goals goes another way. It's a totally different story for Adam Graves' entire career. So are you trying to say that uh, Adam Graves is Rick Nash with a ring? Ooh. <laughs> is that is that basically what you're saying? Because that sounds exactly like what you're saying. I I hate that you put me in this position to make this uh-huh. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, say it about your close personal friend Adam Graves. <laughs> well, I think Adam is, you know. A, a, no, 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 no. <laughs> fuck, fuck that, Ryan. Own up to it. Come on, come on. You're the one that said it. Let's go. Say it. Say it right now. I believe maybe Adam Graves no, is. No, Nick- no, no. Maybe take that maybe out. Adam Graves is Rick Nash. With a ring. He's Rick Nash with a ring, baby. That makes... That's both a compliment to Rick Nash for saying he's he's someone on the caliber of Adam Graves. Let me, but say, also, let it... me say something nice about Rick Nash, which I know I don't do very often, okay? Wow. I think, All right. I know. Bra- brave of me. Um, I do believe Rick Nash is a higher caliber of player than Adam Graves probably ever was. Except for yes. this year. Yeah. like it. We hate doing this, especially with the NHL. But if you put Rick Nash... If you put prime Rick Nash in 1994, he's basically Mario Lemieux with a ability to forecheck. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, I like Adam Graves. Obviously, a close personal friend, as you've mentioned a couple of times now. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, but you Rick- think he's Rick Nash with a ring. That's the most uh... insulting thing you could personally say. To <laughs> this is I personally don't see it as an insult. But for you, it's it's you. You are slandering the man left and right. Oh, I'm yeah, just but but seriously, Graves couldn't bury it in any of these two games. He, really he had couldn't. a lot of opportunities, and 
Don't even get me started on what the fuck Glenn Anderson is and what is he doing in these games. That him, he clearly hits the crossbar and he starts celebrating like he just put it in the back of the net. I know. Drove me up a wall. It's Glenn Anderson is. I I know that we talked to Rick and a Rick bum. might Rick might come on uh, for the game seven. We'll have to, I'll reach out to him or you will at, at some one, one of us will figure it out. And I would love to hear his opinion on Glenn Anderson in, in, at length because he seemed to defend him a little bit because he worked better with Messier. But, like, we're rewatching these games, and I know Rick's a little old. Things can get fuzzy. Sorry, Rick. Like, Glenn Anderson is, a, is an abomination on the ice sometimes. Like, he, he doesn't he's help in so any way. Bad. Yes. He's so bad. And, again, again, it's every time Kovalev plays with Messier, it's not just – we're not the only ones noticing it. It's not like we're going out of our way. Let, let me put it this way. We know how the series ends. Mm-hmm. So we're not going out of our way to besmirch anyone specifically or praise anyone specifically. Like, we're not praising Brian Leach because we have a Brian Leach bias. We're praising Brian Leach because he's otherworldly in these two series. He's still the best we player in both Mark, these games, by the way. We praise Mark Messier – because Messier puts himself constantly in a position to do something good. We're clearly very hard on Adam Graves, who we know not only has a career worthy with the Rangers to have his numbers in the rafters, but he has a near borderline career, him borderline hall of fame career himself. So like when we shit on Glenn Anderson, it's not just that fact that we're shitting on Glenn Anderson because he's Glenn Anderson. He's just bad in these games that we watch. There's, there are very few things Glenn Anderson does on the ice where I sit back and say, thank God Glenn Anderson is out there. He is the definition of a replacement level player. So when you have someone like Alexei Kovalev, who is given opportunities throughout these series and thrives when given opportunity with Mark Messier, to then just keep going back to Glenn Anderson literally wants me to stick my head in a wood chipper. But to be fair, as crazy as game five is i don't think a single ranger necessarily had a good game i know they tied it up to make it three three yeah so let's let's go through the game a little bit it's not that long of of a recap here and we'll go to the third period first period scrappy um mike richter is well before 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 we go step by step Mm -hmm. is it crazy for me to say that i think the rangers played better in game six than game five no i don't think it's crazy at all i think the rangers like and especially mike richter who um really has a game for the for most of game six is uh, they, they just play the entire team plays better. And I think the Rangers will get to what happens in game six, but I think there's a turning point moment. And I really do think the Rangers tie it up if, if what, what happens doesn't happen. So we'll get to that. Um, game five, first period, no score, either team team comes out. It's MSG. Did you, or right, I guess I have to ask you because I ask this every time. Who was your announcers? Cause I had the Vancouver announcers for game five. I had Sam and JD. I've, I had Sam and JD for both games. Okay. Um, I had the Vancouver announcers for game five, whatever the one I had. And I got to tell you, they ragged on New York fans a lot. They were like, imagine paying $4,000 to be at this game. And then I was like, wait a second, $4,000 in 1994 to be at this game. Um, Do you think? I I just, I just love the, I love the, I love the uh, mentality of, man, can you, can you believe spending so much money to go see a hockey team potentially end of 40 year playoff or Stanley cup drought, uh, right? The goal, the goal of these <laughs> New Yorkers. How dare they? It's like, it's like 
motherfucker, what if you're a big sports fan and you have four thousand dollars that you can lavishly spend on sports tickets? Uh, yeah, that's the game to spend it on if you think the New York Rangers is gonna win, bro. If like, I if I was what, a, what kind of take is that? If I had a cash moolah in 1994 and I was just chilling out, there'd be no way I wasn't going. No way, you couldn't Buddy. stop me. Buddy, if the New York Mets are ever in a position where they're one win away from clinching a World Series, I am buying more credit cards to go to that game. I believe you. I don't care how much money I spend. Yeah. I'm the same way with the Rangers, bro. It's it's yeah. just it's just that's what it is. Like you ha- I have I think do you think, do you think they're just angry that the American dollar is so much better than the Canadian had, dollar they, even in 1994? They had to be, Greg. Because I, Right, it, because it was, like 4,000 American dollars, that's what like 67,000 Canadian dollars. Yes, something like that. I think that's that. I'm going to just check the math on it. Uh, nope, yeah, that's I might right, be Greg. low. No, you're is good. Is it 1.1 million? <laughs> I think it is. Especially in 1994. But uh, they do a little bit of complaining about that. I mean, they're 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 not that biased when I when I listened to it. It was it was okay. And but the other the other takeaway I had from the first period was a lot of penalties called and no scores whatsoever. There's no penalties really in the second and third period. Very brief. There's a hooking by Mark Messier, an elbowing on Vancouver, and then one slashing call in the third period. But there's like I think 13 penalties in the first period of this game, and a lot of them are unwarranted. There's one time where a Ranger gets tripped just blatantly. And I think it was um, it wasn't it wasn't Bukamum. It was uh, maybe it was um, Nemechov. Uh, why did I kill? What just happened to me? Nemchinov. Nemchinov. Are you kidding me? I don't know why it hap- why that happens. I read it, I look at it, and my brain just stops. Nemchinov. I think Nemchinov goes and gets tripped, and then he like retaliates, or it was somebody else. It might have been Meto. But then all of a sudden, he's the one of the person in the penalty box. It's like I I couldn't make heads or tails of what the penalties were, but there were so many in the first period. Yeah, I mean, again, the the biggest one was Jeff Bukaboo. Losing him for the game. Yeah, the game misconduct. Essentially was a death blow for the Rangers. And the whole reason why that happens is, yeah, it, it well, I, I, the elephant in the room that we haven't talked about is that offsides call. And I don't know if you got, I don't know if your angle got a look at whether the Rangers were actually offsides or not. Uh, from the Rangers bench reaction i will guess i'll tip my hat to say that they must have been offsides because it sure didn't seem like anyone was kicking and screaming about that potential goal being taken off the board Mm -hmm. but it it was the the whistle that apparently uh didn't hear that led to the fight that led to buka booms um game misconduct and in live time it didn't seem like the Rangers were offsides. I didn't get a good replay on the MSG broadcast. They didn't bring it up a ton afterwards, which is another reason why I think that maybe the Rangers were indeed offsides. But that, that's a monumental call because not only do the Rangers think they're up one nothing, but then, again, their best stay-at-home defender gets taken out of the game entirely. Yeah, it was uh, just a entirely different game from that point on. And the Rangers, for their credit, um, you know, stay in the game. Uh in the second period, there's only one goal left uh, allowed by the Rangers, and uh, it's by Jeff Brown on Vancouver. Cliff Ronning has the assist on this one, and pretty un- uneventful second period, a little rough, rough and tumble, and Brian Leach continues to play the way he does, and everything's okay. Then we get to the third period, and everything goes to hell. Vancouver puts two more goals in, 26 seconds into the third period, Vancouver scores. Then then Pavel Burry scores, and it, is this the one that's off Leach? I think it is. The Yeah. There's the one that it just goes right off Leach's back skate and goes right past Richter. Then all of a sudden, you know, the 
at least for me, the Vancouver um, broadcast is talking about how Vancouver is going to play different. They're going to play with the lead. And this is going to be pretty devastating for the New York Rangers. Then Doug Lister from Kovalev scores a goal like a minute later, less than a minute later, 45 seconds. Three minutes later, Steve Larmer puts a goal in. And then three minutes later after that, Mark Messier from Glenn Anderson and Adam Graves, two people we didn't speak nicely about earlier, um, puts one in. And we have a tied game. You can feel all the momentum. The garden is going absolutely bonkers. The, the roof is blowing off. Like these, these fans think, and I know that they don't know this yet, but they think, Wow, the four thousand dollars I spent on this ticket is gonna be awesome because I'm about to watch one of the great, not one of a great comeback, an amazing momentum shift, and the Rangers are about to win a Stanley Cup, and then Pavel Bure just shuts them up. Thirty seconds later, Pavel Bure scores, and then three minutes later they score again, and then a minute later after that, Pavel Bure scores yet again. And this third period is just a flurry of offense where the Rangers fully fight back into this game and then truly lose. All hope of, of winning it, knowing they have to go back to Vancouver. Yeah, I remember the MSG broadcast pointed out how eight goals in the third period was a Stanley Cup record, or it matched a Stanley Cup record. It was something something ridiculous. I will say, uh, if I were trying to transport myself back into the mindset of a New York Ranger fan in 1994, I 107,000% would have been of the mind that there's no way in hell the New York Rangers are losing after tying it up 3-3 in the third. Like, that just would have been it, – it would have been how I felt after Andy Chavez made the catch against uh, Scott Rowland right. and they doubled off Jim Edmonds at first. In that moment, I was like, holy shit, the New York Mets are going to the World Series. There's nothing that is going to change this. This this is it. This is the moment. And when Messier, of all people, ties it up in the moment, I probably would have thought, without knowing the outcome, obviously, ahead of time, I would have thought – oh my God, the New York Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup. They're going to do it at home. They're going to do it tonight. Look at this team, never giving up, fighting back really hard, tying this game at three, not even 30 seconds later. Pavel 29, 29 seconds of gameplay. Yeah. Pavel Bure yeah, and I, I know that Dave, ba- Dave Babbage gets the goal, but it's all Pavel Bore. Yeah. Like, all it, of it is Pavel Bore. He creates an entirely empty crease for Dave Babbage to literally just dump it in. push the puck into. Yeah. Uh, Pavel Bore is great. He is. Like, he's awesome in this. He's incredible. Prime, prime Pavel Bore is a sight to behold. If I'm and Vancouver, got. I think about this all the time. You know, Pavel Bore like literally almost took. If if he didn't have the flu, seriously, there's a chance well, the Rangers. Think, yeah, think, he basically didn't play the first three games. Think about it that he doesn't play the first three games of the series. Like yes, he physically is on the ice in games one and two. Not really. But he's not no. Pavel Bore because he's sick. And then game three, he's gone for half the game because he tried to murder, of all people, Jay Wells. Like, if that game... I do believe Game 3 is completely different if Pavel Bore plays right. during Game 3. I couldn't agree more with you. And it's... And so, like, I know it's it's crazy to think that the Rangers were up 3-1. The Rangers had so many opportunities, not just in Game 5 and in Game 6, to win the series, and then obviously they win it in Game 7. But if you're a Vancouver Canuck fan, and you're thinking back on the first three games of the series, and you have... Not sick Pavel Bore, and then not attempted murderers Pavel, Pavel Bore. I think if you're the Canucks, you feel like this one got away from you. You have to. You have to feel that way. Like, I really would like to. to, to I, we do have some friends over in the the Canuck Kingdom, people that started the Church of Pedersen, um, and I'd like to reach out to them and ask because 
like watching Pavel Bure is a sight. Like he is the entire offense, just like how I feel Brian Leach is the entire offense for the New York Rangers. He luckily has Mark Messier there with him. Um, <laughs> and Mark Messier plays, you could see Mark Messier start dragging this team and, and helping the power play and Leach and, and really fighting back into games. But Pavel Bure is the only thing going really for me personally for Vancouver. I mean, you can name some other names, but it's really the Pavel Bure show, and he's dragging them. And, and he, if he's in, if he plays, if he's healthy in the first two games, I really don't think the Rangers are are winning this series. I just don't with Mike Keenan's coaching. I mean, I think it's worth pointing out Jeff Cortnall is pretty good throughout this series. He's really good in games five and six. Uh, he spells his name like a fucking idiot. I don't respect anyone who spells Jeff G E O F F. I just don't. You're doing something wrong. Uh, Jeff Jenkins looking at you. You're the first person I ever encountered in my life who spelt his name like a dumb dumb. Uh, but he's he's very good. I mean, he's probably like it, if Pavel Bure is to Scott Stevens in terms of star power with the Devils, uh, Jeff Cortnall is probably this series is Stefan Richet, where he's just a pest from start to finish and extremely noticeable is cashing in goals left and right. The Vancouver Canucks needed someone like this to step up in order to be competitive in the series. So I guess credit where credit is due. Uh, Jeff Cortnall is having a series. Absolutely. And today's podcast is sponsored by Sponsoring with The Athletic. You can go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads right now and where you can fill out a very simple form and they'll get back to you right away. And sponsor this podcast. Sponsor the full 60. Sponsor any athletic podcast you'd like. Listeners are loyal to engaged, and they're just like you. And what better way to advertise than on your favorite podcast? And if you're looking to advertise in a specific city, well, New York, we got your back. We host the New York Rangers podcast. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads today and sponsor with The Athletic. Okay, back to the show. All right. Um, I mean, they lose game five, game five. So now you're the New York Rangers. You just lost the chance to win a Stanley Cup in Madison Square Garden. You're about to break the curse. And you have to go back to Vancouver, and so I guess we, we've ended game we've ended game five, right? We can go on to the game uh, six review at this point because it's not to me personally like it doesn't feel like it has a lot of storyline within it. You get to you get back to Vancouver. It's a really weird stadium where the it's filmed the opposite way as we talked last time. You don't see the you don't see the benches on the right side that you usually see them. It's they're they're the back is facing towards you for the players. It's very strange. It's a little more quiet than I expected it to be. I have Sam and JD back and some old babies and through the first two periods that JD makes point to say this a, a couple different times like hey Vancouver's had a lot of great shots like the Rangers are getting really pretty much garbage opportunities here and Vancouver is taking advantage of of having tremendous shots and Mike Richter stands on his head up until um what is a Jeff Brown goal about the 10 minute mark in the first period Mike Richter continues to do this. I mean, into the into the second and third period of the game, I I believe there's a goal from Mike Richter where it goes through his legs and he does like pretty much like a backflip to catch it and it just crosses the line. Or we don't ever see the review, but we have to assume it crosses the line. Mike Mike Richter is phenomenal in this game, and yet the game ends up being four one. Uh, there's only one good scoring chance for the New York Rangers. It's a, it's a power play goal by Alexei Kovalev and Mark Bessie and Brian Leach. But then, and this is really what the storyline goes to, Gregory, is the is the third period. Vancouver scores a goal again by Jeff Brown eight minutes in. But the Rangers start fighting back. At least we think they do. And there is a score. Uh, you just mentioned Jeff, uh, Joff, we'll call him Jeff, Joff Cortnow, um, scores a goal that hits the top of the, uh, of the uh, I guess, the goal. 
uh, and bounces in, or bounces out, rather, but it, it, it goes in. Right after that, they don't stop play because they don't know if, it, if it, it's actually gone in. And the Rangers go back the other way, and Mark Messier puts it in. So it's about to be 3-2 going to with, with two minutes remaining where the, the Rangers can have a chance to tie the game up. But Cornell ends up scoring, and the game is entirely different. So we went from this game being totally not competitive at all to it could have been to wait, it's over, we're going to Game 7. Yeah, but at, it was clearly a goal. And I think the Canucks knew it was clearly a goal. So it, on one hand, I, I could understand why a Ranger fan could feel slighted that Messier would have scored with just over a minute left to make it 3-2. And the Rangers could have had this Hail Mary shot at possibly tying the game up in the final minute. But I, it was so clearly a goal that it's more concerning about the refs not calling it in the moment than anything else. Like it, it, it was nothing like the Glenn Anderson shot, which couldn't have more clearly gone off the crossbar. This one was like, it was in, it was shot so hard that it came back out, but it was very clearly a goal. Absolutely. Um, and I would say the Rangers had a ton of scoring opportunities in this game. They just weren't cashing them for whatever reason. There was one time where I think it was Graves, uh, Graves right in front of the net where he literally shot it at McLean's stick where if he put it anywhere else, it's probably a goal. There was a Steve Larmer uh, attempt that uh, could have easily been a goal. Sergei Zubov went high and wide uh, right in front of the net on the power play that he could have beaten. He had McLean beat. He just missed the net. So that it was just this game was about the Rangers not cashing in on the golden opportunities they created for themselves. But like I, like I said earlier, I think it's very clear the New York Rangers played a better hockey game in Game 6 than they did in Game 5. Oh, the scoreline sure. won't show it. Like If you're, if you're looking at the scorelines of both games and you see 6-3-4-1, I think that alone would make you think the New York Rangers just put an egg up. But more so Game 6 than 5, Like this was essentially a one-goal game. And it should have the Rangers should have scored more than one. Like if, if expected goals was a thing back in 1994. Right, if we can have advanced probably, stats whatsoever for the redoing Yeah, this. the Rangers were probably in the neighborhood. They did, the Rangers had about four goals that they just didn't score. So it's 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 a tough loss to swallow, especially when you consider, again, the New York Rangers were up three games to one. The New York Rangers had opportunities in game five to win this. And then again, if you're the New York Rangers, you start. if I were the Rangers, I would start to feel a little snake-bitten. Um but it it's it's a tough pill to swallow. That this was a game that was winnable for the Rangers, and they just could not finish. They really couldn't. They really couldn't, and, and they get beat up in this game too. I think it's worth noting. Um, it's not the the bloodbath that was Game Three, but and there's really not any penalties in this game. By the way, there's five total. I mean, one's on Jeff Bukowin, one on Brian Leach, and then three on Vancouver in the second period, and that's it. But Brian Leach gets hit a lot in this game. Like he almost gets like headhunted a little bit, and. And one of them is from Pavel Burry, by the way. Um, so it's just, the game, they get beat up. You could tell they're a little tired. Like, this is a team that's been to, uh, like, what was it, five overtimes in now 11 games? And it just has started to falter. And they've had the chance. They've they've gone the distance. They've, they flew across the country into another country to play this game and just couldn't get it done, knowing they have to go back to game Seven now. Obviously, we know what happens. That's why we're doing this rewatch. But the mental state, I can only imagine. I went to go look at the New York Times articles. Unfortunately, I don't have a subscription. I probably should get one. 
And I'm really curious as to what they would say after Game 6. And we'll have to talk about that next week um, going into Game 7, what the mindset was. Um, because there was no Messier guarantee for Game 7 the last time I checked. It was only for the, the Game 6 and the Devils. So we didn't know what was coming versus the Vancouver game in Game 7. We obviously know what happens, but we'll be going over that next week. Was there any other takeaways from the Game 6? Because I felt like the third period of Game 5 was just like so electric and so quick. So much momentum and so much energy. But, but when I watched Game 6, I never felt like there was these... And I said, as I said earlier, defining moments. Like, I thought the game was competitive. I thought Richter was an absolute monster. I thought Leach still did a lot of what he needed to do. Pavel Burry continued to be incredible. But there was never a point where I was like, oh, wow, this is a, a really interesting moment in the game that I feel like we could break down for 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I would say it's more the cumulative outcome of the Rangers just not finishing the very good scoring chances they're creating for themselves and to be fair it's it's something we hadn't seen from the rangers in any of these games previously every time against the devils every and the five games leading up to game six it seemed like if the new york rangers created a prime goal scoring opportunity for themselves they usually cashed in with the exception of maybe leach hitting the post in game one and i can think of one kovalev breakaway on a power play that they didn't cash in against the devils but for the most part when the rangers create opportunities for themselves in these playoffs they they finish and for whatever reason that dried up in game six and if i was a ranger fan going into game seven i would have felt like the the sky had already fallen and that it was just an inevitability at this point that the canucks were going to raise the cup at the garden i would have gone in with a bad mentality for sure absolutely yeah i just thought this was the, this was their chance. Uh, the game five, like I just, like you said, once Messi scored, I was like, oh, it's over. And I, even though I knew, like, oh, this is it. And then going to game six, it was just like I, I, there was nothing like exciting about it, and I just thought Vancouver had it from the start. Despite, like you said, the, the Rangers playing a lot better. Um, Adam Graves continued to be my dear good friend Rick Nash slash Adam Graves, um, continued to be just invisible when you needed it most, and. I'm still shocked about how he's spoken about as like one of the core pieces. I know he was of that season, but these two series, it's just, he's invisible. And I'd love to talk to him again one day. I'll call him up, you know, I'll let him know. Um, I think that's really all we have for this week. Did we miss anything? Um, I don't think so. Uh, the Seven Eleven so. logo was pretty funny. I don't know why. I just thought that was like, it, it really sticks out on the boards. There was like a couple ads where I was like, hmm, I remember that. That, but that's really it. The, I, I, don't, I don't remember that one. I, the nobody beats the whiz gets me every time. It makes me laugh. Uh, and so do, oh. I just, I also, I have a really hard time getting over the SeaWorld ad at MSG. Because the last, I don't know, last 30, 100,000 times I've checked, SeaWorld is not in New York City. It's not. It's in Florida, which is New York too at the point. And it probably still is. Isn't um, it in San Diego? Is it? I thought there was a Florida SeaWorld? one. Maybe. Is there? Cool. I don't know. Look, I look, see here's, here's the point. Not New York. Nope. So it's just, it's wild to see it on the boards at New York. Um, but yeah, I, my favorite, my favorite forever will be Nobody Beats the Wiz. One of the, it's Orlando, I think. Sea, old SeaWorld for just 1994. I, it's Shamu. There you go. Um, Fantastic. Uh, one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting was they they talked about Pavel Bure flying or taking a, a like a helicopter flight for three hours to go into a hyperbolic chamber. I don't know if you heard that. I was like, whoh. They put Pavel Bury yeah, in a chamber? 
Um, I found it very interesting that for some reason Peter Nedved is just in Vancouver just watching this chilling. hockey game. Weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I, I, I couldn't because Sam and JD bring it up so casually. They're like, oh, look, there's Peter Nedved. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's the guy you traded for and then traded and then traded for again. Hmm. Yeah. No, he's in Vancouver. Let's. Let's focus in on Peter Nedved. This makes perfect sense. It was I just. It is such a quick cutaway. It's funny how it works. It, it and it just made it made no sense. It really didn't. But it, I, I don't know. I, like I was trying to think of. It, it kind of felt like that time that uh, Matt Harvey went to see a Yankee game for some reason. Right. And the broadcast was like, "Hey, here's Matt Harvey," and everyone's like, "Well, what the fuck? <laughs> What's what, <laughs> what exactly is going on?" Yeah. What do we make uh, of this? Th- that's. That's the big vibe I got from Peter Nedved for some reason being in the audience at Game Six, and I think it was, I think it was Todd Greshner at Game Five for some reason, rocking the hardest 1994 goatee mullet combination I've ever seen in my entire life. Good stuff. I don't know. I, I doubt the Vancouver broadcast cut to him, but just to prove, just MSG proving that they're not completely random. They did cut to random players in both games for reasons I haven't figured out. Agreed. All right. Next week we get to Game Seven. Maybe Rick will join us. Maybe he won't. But we'll be ending our um, our series. Are we sure we're going to do it next week, or is we're going to have actual playoff games to talk about? Might postpone Game know. Seven. We'll see. Stay- you, you have you have to tell me. You're the big organizer. Here. Stay stay tuned. Depending on what happens in the Rangers Carolina series, we may have a different OT next week. We'll stick it that way. And then after, we'll, you'll be around. We have some time if the Rangers end up losing the series. So. Uh, Game 7 will be coming in the future, if not next week. We'll talk to you guys soon. Love you. Bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.